Welcome to another edition of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me, as always, from the quarantine zone, it is my co-host, as usual, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how are you holding up over there? Uh, you know, it's it's nice. I'm nice and warm, uh, a little itchy. I, uh, I've been coughing a lot. But other than that, you know, it's been great over here. Okay. Doesn't sound like the Rona, but you might want to get that checked out anyway. Oh. Just... Anyway, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, so let's uh this is our, our, our weekly time to sit down and talk a little baseball. We've got a lot of baseball to talk about. We've got a we've got another guest. We're we're in this run of guests. We're gonna eventually get back to doing some of our more traditional episodes, but we've got a bunch of people that probably uh you know have got some free time on their hands. Well all of us are I guess not all of us anymore, but most of us are uh, still in quarantine and and waiting for the return of baseball. But before we do, Mark, we've got it. We've got to revisit Kangaroo Court. <laughs> oh no, 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 not again. Yeah, we've done it again. Is it your fault? What makes it mine again? <laughs> it is the topic that will not die. Oh boy, yeah, Yankees and Mets. Yes, you got it. you got it. <laughs> so we have been. Kindly pointed out once again, and, and I want to give it a shout out to Renichi underscore B-Ball. Now, if some of you listen to our uh, our friends over at the BBBA podcast, the Baseball Beyond Biting Average podcast, that name is very familiar to him, to you. Uh, Renichi underscore B-Ball is a contributor on that show every week. Uh, he specializes in Japanese uh, you know, Japanese baseball and players, especially that have played in the major leagues and have also played on Japanese teams. And uh, he's uh, he's been nice enough to listen to our show as well. We really appreciate it. And he was nice enough to remind me that he actually reminded me last week as well, but I'm just, it's been a thing, that the actual current leader of guys that have played for both the Yankees and the Mets with career hits is Willie Randolph. No kidding. Yeah. And so, Willie Randolph, I mean, for me, I think of him as a Yankee. Yeah. Uh, but he pulled, he kind of did what Robinson Cano did, where he played one season with the Mets. So, with the Yankees, he had 1,731 hits. With the Mets, he had 72, which gave him a total of 1,803, which beat out Robinson Cano by 54 hits. Uh, there you go. So hopefully we can put this to oh. bed. We we thank everybody. Are we finally accurate on this? My goodness. I hope so. I mean, it's been a good, a fun discussion. I, I forgot oh, I Willie agree. Randolph. I just we're not that good at mathematics. No, I, I but you know I remember Willie Randolph managing the Mets, right? But yeah, I, I, remember I didn't that. remember him playing for the Mets. So I have no recollection of that either. I'm guessing it had to have been late in his career. And if I didn't have 8,000 tabs of baseball reference open already that I need to look at, I would look that up. But uh, there you go. Willie Randolph, thank you, Renichi underscore B-Ball, for setting us straight once and for all. Uh, one of these tabs, Mark, that I've got open here, I wanted to talk about relievers and decisions. So okay. we're, we're kind of progressing to the point in, in baseball fandom, if you look at stats, that wins and losses and even saves aren't really that important anymore. They're kind of the old school stats. 
not something that, you know, there's just way too many things go into something like a win or a loss or a save that has nothing to do with the person on the mound. Yes. That makes it not be as important as it used to be. But I did a quick search here for decisions by a reliever in a single season. And so I put some parameters in here that uh, they had to have started fewer than five games in a season, but they had to have appeared in more than 40. So that it gives you, so this is, you know, you might get a spot start here or there. Any guess, I'm going to give you kind of a, a, I'll give you 10 either way. On when you look at decisions by a reliever using those parameters, what do you think the total was of a win-loss? You know, how many decisions did did a reliever get in one year? In a single season, how many? Yeah. I'm going to yeah. go with the most I've ever seen, I think, is nine. So I'm going to go with 13. Okay, now that's wins and losses is what I'm talking about. Oh, wins and losses. Yeah. Oh, that could be higher. I could tell like you it 12 is. 12 and 12. Uh, I'm going to go with 26. All right, now double that. <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> no, I'm not. It's oh, not man. That high. I wanted to just give you a, a little panic there. So the actual, the, it's actually 31. 31. John Hiller of the Detroit Tigers in 1974, he appeared in 59 games, did not start a single game, and he finished with a record of 17 and 14. Jeez. With 13 saves as well. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Nicknamed the Vulture. Yeah, you definitely. Also that year, Mike Marshall, who on this list is listed in three of the top four seasons for decisions as a reliever. That same year in 74, he tallied 27 decisions with a 15 and 12 record. In 79, he went 10 and 15, and in 73, he went 14 and 11. So, yeah, that is a lot of, that's a lot of wins and losses from somebody that didn't start a game. And those aren't, remember, these are not, uh, this was not in the era of openers where somebody comes in and opens (laughs) a game and then you pitch in the second inning and that qualifies as relief this is he finished in this in this season where he finished with 31 decisions he finished 52 games oh my out of the 59 that he that he appeared in so that's a lot of uh, a lot of appearances and uh, a whole lot of decisions just to look a little bit further into this, that Mike Marshall season of 1974, where he went 15 and 12 with 21 saves. Do you have any idea how many games he appeared in? 15 and 12 with 21 saves. Yep. More math. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with 80. So he finished 83 games. He appeared in 106 games. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And then his arm no longer Fell worked off. after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because in 1979, he appeared in 90. In 73, he appeared in 92. And in 68, oh, no, that's Wilbur Wood. But you you can see, I mean, just close to 100, if not more games a season. That is unheard of. It will <laughs> never happen again. No, no way. 
All right, so uh, just wanted to look at that. Let's head into our debut segment. This uh, show is debuting on May 19th. I've really only got two debuts here. Kind of a a slim pickings lately from these debuts. This one, though, is one of my favorites. We talk about him pretty, pretty often on this show. Today in 1984, making his major league debut was Eric Davis. Eric the Red. Oh, yes. A true, legit five-tool player. Five-tool, pure athlete. Yeah. I mean, this guy was just, he was so fun to watch, except for in the 90 World Series, I'm going to admit. I did not enjoy watching him in that, but just did everything well, just had a hard time staying healthy, really had some some health issues during his career, um, one of which was cancer, which he beat and came back to. But let's talk about his debut really quick. He pinch hit versus the St. Louis Cardinals and grounded out versus uh, famed fan of snakes, Joaquin Andujar. Um, the 1990 World Series I mentioned versus Oakland, he you know had a great series, but while diving for a ball in Game Four of the World Series, he lacerated his kidney and had to be taken to the hospital and have surgery. Uh, yeah, which, I would imagine if you lacerate your kidney. Yeah, I mean, just I mean beyond just how unfortunate yeah. that is to do it in Game Four of the World Series where your team sweeps and clinches and you're in the hospital where everybody else is celebrating. That's mm-hmm. man, at least you got the drugs. Yeah, well, he was not happy though because after the World Series, the Reds just left him in Oakland in a hospital. Oh, they're just like we're we've got a parade to get to. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, Davis requested, you know, he asked the Reds, asked that wonderful human being, Marge Schott, hey, can you maybe, can can you get me a private plane or something and fly me back? They did not. So Marge couldn't to, afford it. Well, if you know Marge Schott and you know of what uh, uh, ethnicity Eric Davis is, uh, you might understand why she didn't do it, being wow. a miserable human being <laughs> my my friend matt used to uh always refer to her as marge she should be shot yeah or she's she's kind of uh kind of there's another word that kind of sounds like shot that might describe her <laughs> that one too uh you know if 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 shotzi would have been left in oakland that would have been a private plane ride but not Eric yeah, Davis. that's a good point uh some other notes on eric davis may 1997 uh, Davis was diagnosed with colon cancer. He recovered, played a little bit after coming back, but he was at the end of his career at that point. Uh, Eric Davis was also the first and now one of only two players in Major League history with at least 30 home runs and 50 stolen bases in a single season. The other player now being Barry Bonds, who did that in 1990 after Eric Davis. That's right. And one of my uh, one of my favorite stats here, Eric Davis is one of only two players in baseball history to have stolen 20 bases and hit 25 home runs. Also impressive. Can you guess who that other player was that stole 80 bags and knocked 25 long balls out in a single season? Ricky Anderson? 
There you go. Just wanted to hear you say his name. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty, you know, you can pretty much, if it has to do with anything with stolen bases and I say, guess who, just say Ricky Henderson. You're going to get it right. But one of these times you're going to go, no, it's Tony Phillips. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, both Eric Davis and Ricky Henderson did that in the same year in 1986. Davis hit 27 home runs and stole 80 bases. Ricky hit 28 home runs and stole 87 bases. Great years for both those guys. No kidding. Next guy, uh, I'm just going to say it. Oda B. McDowell (laughs) made his debut 1985 on this day. Oda B. McDowell, big uh, draft pick. Yeah. Oh, he was drafted. First of all, I looked at his transactions. He was drafted four or five times before he signed. Right. Uh, Ended up playing at Arizona State, which is obviously one of those, uh, not as much anymore, but used to be one of those powerhouses in college baseball. Uh, but Odeby went 0 for 3 on this, his debut. He struck out th- all three times versus White Sox Tim Lawler. No Major League Baseball player before or since has ever been named Odeby. <laughs> I, I know that's shocking. <laughs> no way. Uh, he won the prestigious Gold Spikes Award, which is given to the best amateur baseball player in 1984 when he was playing college ball, as I mentioned, at Arizona State. He was also a member of that famed 1984 United States Olympic team. Mark McGuire, yeah. Will Clark. That's right. He was in that uh, 85 set, Tops 85 set. Yep, yep, definitely. Yep. And of course, we've talked about the Deadspin articles where they would publish Odeby's monthly water bill. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> now, I remember seeing it several times. I did not realize they published 14 different bills. So for over a year, once a month, they would publish Odeby McDowell's water bill. That's bizarre. Uh, McDowell is currently the head coach at MacArthur High School uh, for their baseball team in Hollywood, Florida, which happens to be his alma mater. Good for him. That, so I, I only really found two worthwhile I mean, there's, there were a lot of them, just not a lot of players that had the, the interest as these two. But I did want to mention a birthday that is happening today. It is Turk Wendell, was born in 1967 on this day. Nice. We've talked about Turk Wendell in, in our superstition episodes and what a quirky guy he was with the, the necklace of animal teeth and the licorice and the teeth brushing and the jumping over the line and the not ever catching a ball if an umpire threw it. <laughs> Just the weird stuff. If you want to send him a gift, send him red vines, folks. I don't know anymore. <laughs> there was a video. Him. Yeah, you're right. Just like a week or so ago of Turk Wendell. Posted by the New York Mets official account. He is a farmer now in the Midwest. And they're like, all right, here's a day with Turk Wendell on his farm. And I'm like, this is going to be great. It's five minutes long. I watched it and I fell asleep. It was so boring. (laughs) Uh, He's 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 wearing overalls and big boots. Which I thought was a great no necklace though, but I'm like, all right, he's gonna he's gonna this is gonna make me laugh. Now he's like, this is where we do uh, we we we're growing wheat here this year and uh, some soy over there. Here's my tractor. Uh, this one doesn't work, and this is the entirety of the entire video. I was so disappointed. There are Turn. some baseball fans who are heavily into farm equipment. It's a very very small Venn diagram that has farm equipment fans. In one circle and baseball fans in the other. Yes, they touch though. 
Yeah, they do. They do. And Turk Wendell is smack dab in the middle of that. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about trivia. Mark, I gave you a question last week. Let's see if you've been able to come up with an answer. Manny okay. Ramirez, Derek Jeter, and Hank Bauer all hold the record for the longest postseason hitting streak at 17 games. Who holds the record for the second longest hitting streak in postseason history? You got to think, I mean, because I don't know. So I'm trying to narrow it down. You got to think Yankees, most World Series, right? Makes total sense. I'm not, I'm not saying give me a yes or no. I'm just telling you my train of thought, which has gone completely off the rails and is now in Jamaica. But uh, I'm going to guess a little bit longer ago. And I'm going to go with um, Yogi Berra. Uh, I do not see Yogi Berra anywhere on this top. He just played in so many games. It was my best shot. Oh, there's Yogi Berra. He's ranked at number 52 with 11 game. He had an 11 game hitting streak. I can't take too much pride in that. Well, you know, you're on the, you're on the top 50. I, it's funny because I asked this question and, you know, we record obviously a week ahead and somebody not related to our show, didn't say anything about our show, posted a screen capture from it looked like maybe the 1990, ooh, I want to say the 1993 World Series with Pat Borders mm-hmm. for the Toronto Blue Jays at bat with a graphic underneath him saying, has now hit in 16 straight postseason games. <laughs> oh, so there it was. Pat Borders. I, I could have let you guess, I'm guessing, for Ever? a decade, and yeah. you would have never come up with Pat Borders. That's a fact. Interesting. Yeah. So, tied after him, tied for the number five spot are three names, Alcides Escobar, Marquise Grissom, and one, Mr. Ricky Henderson, who had a 15-game postseason hitting streak. Of course he did. During Ricky's hitting streak, he hit 410 with an OPS of 1.257. Now that's good, right? I think that's good. He had four home runs, 12 RBIs, three triples, four doubles, and stole 13 bases while (laughs) only getting caught twice during that run. What? Oh my. I mean, that is dominant. You put that up against some of these other guys that had these hitting streaks, and that is just... Those are incredible numbers. George Springer is the only one that can really compare to him, but he's on the Astros, so we're not going to talk about it. Yes, Astros are are forbidden. (laughs) All right, so let's get to our trivia question for next week. So this will give you something to think about uh, until we speak next. What is the longest streak of games where a player has been hit by a pitch at least once in each of the games? (laughs) Okay. So it's kind of a two-bitter, a two-parter. You yeah. know, what is it and who was this guy? And I'll just tell you this, it was not Don Baylor that got hit. I, I was expecting this to only be like maybe two games or maybe three. But no, it's longer than that. Interesting. Okay. Well, the, the only guy I can think of that got hit as often as Don Baylor was Craig Biggio. Yep, he got hit a lot. Uh, Jason Kendall got hit a lot. But the, the, this guy that that is the answer got hit a lot as well. He spent a couple of weeks crowding the plate, apparently. All right. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for our trivia. 
as well as our BP segment. Let's get ready now to jump into our main segment. We've used the phrase a cup of coffee before on this show. In the baseball world, it denotes a brief visit to the big leagues. Often, a player's first time in the big leagues is just that. It's a cup of coffee. But there are some players that hardly have time to even get a sip of coffee before they're sent back down to the minors. Some never even return at all. Today, we welcome Jacob Kornhauser, who is the author of the book, The Cup of Coffee Club, 11 Players and Their Brush with Baseball History, to talk about some of these players. Jacob, welcome. We're, we're very excited to have you on today. Excited to be here. Thanks for uh, having me, guys. Great. So just a little bit of background about you for our listeners. You are a Cubs fan. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So I, I, I read that and I thought it was just a perfect allegory that a Cubs fan would write a book about players who kind of get right to the cusp of something. <laughs> and, oh, then, yeah. and then something unforeseen, sometimes something tragic or just bad circumstances happen and kind of have that rug pulled out from under their feet. So this writing this book must have been <laughs> kind of like an old hat for you being a Cubs fan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was right on the heels of them finally winning it all. So it was a little different, but it was always drawing back to my childhood. And, you know, when I was uh, young and the Bartman game happened and that was kind of my christening into Cubs fanhood. And it, it certainly had a lot of parallels in that way. So you you might be young, but that, that Bartman game really instills the the tragedy of the Cubs <laughs> eras oh, yes. before you. So, oh, yes. so uh, let's talk about some of the players here that you've uh, that you've covered in this book. We have actually, as I mentioned to you beforehand, we've actually touched on a couple of these guys because some of these stories are just it's kind of what we do here. We like to talk about kind of the strange stories. So let's just I, I think Larry Gount is kind of let, let's get him out of the way. <laughs> Okay. Because I, I had never heard about Larry Yount until about a year ago when we talked about him. And, you know, the name is there, his brother, Hall of Famer Robin Yount, obviously. Uh, but he is one of those guys that I think I feel the most sorry for reading through the book here because technically he got into the MLB, <laughs> but he never actually got to play a single out or even throw a single right. pitch that counted. But then after baseball, he really seems to kind of be the big winner <laughs> out, right, of, out yeah. of everybody. <laughs> yeah, his story is interesting because like you said, it's something to where he kind of got the raw, the most raw deal. I guess, you know, a lot of these guys obviously did, but the most raw deal in terms of uh, not actually really getting to throw a pitch, but then afterwards being super successful uh, in business ventures, real estate, and otherwise. Um, so he's kind of someone who, in the guys that I talked to, was the most bitter, I would say, uh, of the guys that I talked to in terms of how his career went down. And I totally get that. You know, ba he based his decision not to pitch when he was hurt uh, based on him being just 22 years old, thinking he was going to get plenty of more chances to pitch in the big leagues. He just never did. But like you said, uh, it worked out pretty well for him. He's uh, He's doing okay for himself. And he's been involved with baseball since, as in he he did some stuff with the Phoenix, uh, were they the Firebirds, and and then right. was in, he involved also in in the Diamondbacks getting a fran Arizona getting a franchise essentially. Yeah, so he kind of got the wheels turning uh, on Arizona getting a franchise. He didn't necessarily take them over the finish line, but he got it turning uh, several years before it really picked up momentum. 
Um, so he definitely can be seen as, you know, kind of one of the top people um, as a reason that the Diamondbacks are in Arizona and are a franchise in general. And I mean, he forged a, an interesting friendship with Bud Seeley too, you know, when he was the owner of uh, the Brewers and he was kind of negotiating contracts uh, you know, agencies and stuff weren't as uh, official or, or anything back then. So he was kind of just negotiating contracts for Robin when he was with the Brewers. So he definitely stayed connected in baseball, even though his playing career left him feeling a little bitter. <laughs> I, we got to negotiate. Just talk to my brother. That's that's what yeah, uh, exactly Robin would be. I did like the story of, of Larry Hunt, but um, uh, it did make me a little bit sad. The same, like like you said, though he 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 scored big in the at the end. So. Right. Um, and you know what? I, yeah, who I really enjoyed reading about. First of all, great book. I really enjoyed it. I couldn't put it down. Great Thank stories. It's kind of the stuff we do here, and it just really fits in. Um, I, I went straight. Like I, I opened the book. I just started reading cover to cover, and I got to my favorite name. Decided that's the one I wanted to talk about was Rose Kidmore. <laughs> yeah, as soon as you said favorite name, I knew that's where you were going with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm big on on cool nicknames. And Roe, I didn't know this, just stood for Robert. Right. Yeah. And his dad had gone by that name. So he kind of just took after it. The thing I thought was cool about Rose Skidmore is he played. I'm from Tacoma. I worked for the Tacoma baseball team for 11 years. Oh, cool. uh, he played in Tacoma, Tacoma Cubs, 1968, 69, I think. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so he has a little bit of history in Tacoma. I found that pretty interesting. I wouldn't have gone to those games. <laughs> I would far from being born. <laughs> Yeah, Roe, he was one of the nicest guys I talked to uh, in terms of kind of following up afterwards as well. Um, And obviously, like we mentioned at the top, being a Cubs fan, it was cool to talk to, you know, the only person who was a Cub in the book as well. And he was sort of supposed to be the heir apparent to to Ernie Banks. That was kind of his understanding um, as he was told by the club and obviously never worked out. I thought the coolest thing in his story in terms of going through it was that in that famous or I guess infamous, uh, if you're a Cubs fan, black cat picture with Ron Santo in the on-deck yeah. circle, you can actually see Roe in the dugout. Now, that was 1969, which was the first time he got called up. He never got into a game, so he had to wait a full other year, and then 1970 was when he got called up again and actually ended up playing in a game, but, you know, it's it's one of those weird historical things that uh, without talking to him, I obviously never would have known that, so I, th- I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, his his uh, not just him, but his father were both uh, diehard Cubs fans, and right. of course, absolutely hated St. Louis. Yeah, and uh, yep. he ended up. Uh, I don't think he did. He not play for their organization. I'm trying to remember, but he he was involved with them somehow. Um, um I don't. Yeah, well, I mean, his one game in the big leagues took place against him, which is pretty cool. I mean, if you yeah. grow up kind of you know near Chicago and root for the Cubs uh, and you're only going to get one game in the big leagues. It might as well happen at Wrigley against the Cardinals. And that's exactly what he got. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. It was a pretty good hitter. I mean, uh, uh, a good ball, ball player. He just kind of got, you know, slipped through the cracks. Yeah. And it was one of those cases of just a manager, you know, Leo DeRocher just really uh, focused in on getting veterans, a bunch of playing time. It wasn't something yeah. like now where, you know, they, they'd make a conscious effort to kind of get some of the young guys at bat, see what they have. They just kind of stuck with some of the, the old guard, and I think that was the big reason that Roe didn't get a bigger chance. Yeah, good story though. I like always really like the the, the Roe story. And hey, can you play first base? Sure, <laughs> you know, <laughs> having never done it. And then, right. uh, yeah, with Ernie Banks, it's the thing that that I thought about was it. It's kind of like coming up in the Orioles organization in the '80s if you're a shortstop. You know, right. you're, you're stuck behind that that legend. But I like what uh, what he said at one point is. Um, 
you know, he, he finally got his at bat and neither of his parents are there. And, you know, I thought it was the beginning, but it was the end. But, you know, he still he as you said, he, he seemed to take it all in stride. And I thought that was pretty cool. Another another Hall of Fame name. This is another one that we talked about that neither Mark nor I remembered was Stephen Larkin, right. who, you know, pretty much the same as, as Larry Yount, um, the brother of, of Hall of Famer Barry Larkin. And we were unaware that they had played in the same game. And then, you know, as you mentioned, also, they you dig a little deeper. Also, you had the Boons playing in the same yeah. game. Um, what uh, what I tell us? Tell us a little bit more about Steven. Yeah, I mean, just right off the bat, the whole uh, brothers infield thing, that's something that we had never seen before. And I highly doubt we'll ever see again where, you know, you had Aaron and Brett Boone playing uh, in the infield as well as Steven and Barry Larkin. So you had two pairs of brothers making up an entire big league infield. Um, I thought the most interesting thing in kind of contrast with the Younts was that Steven was sort of the runt of the litter. You know, he was the youngest of this really great athletic family um, and had kind of grown up, I guess, in the shadows of these guys um, and Barry, obviously, chief among them. And so those guys, they were separated by eight years uh, in age. So they never really got to play together in Little League or, or anything like that. So it's a really unique thing. And Barry has written about it uh, a few times about how this was like the one game that they got to play on the same team in any sport ever. And it just happens to be in the major leagues in the one game that Stephen Larkin played. So I thought that was really cool in terms of the brother connection where they got to play in the same game. And it was the one time in their entire lives, really, uh, that they they got to put on the same uniform together. Do you think was Stephen ever really going to make it to the big leagues? I mean, this was the the final game of the season. And I mean, was this... Was this kind of a, a favor to Barry or was he a legitimate major league prospect? Or- yeah, based on, I didn't really want to broach the subject too much with Steven himself, but I would say based on his numbers and kind of, you know, where he was at that time, I'm sure that there was something uh, to where, you know, why not? Because the Reds weren't really in contention at that point. There really wasn't any reason they couldn't do it. Um, and, you know, with so many other guys, that either never got a chance at the big leagues or some of these one game players who just barely did. I think um, you can still appreciate that and kind of look at it as a positive and almost making up for some of the guys that never got a shot that maybe should have. I just, I rather enjoyed um, <laughs> when they were playing in that particular game, how uh, Barry said, Hey, let's see who can hit the ball hardest today. <laughs> I just thought that was awesome. You yeah. To be able to say that to your brother in a major league <laughs> game, that's fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Their competitiveness was really good um, and, and pretty cool. And I mean, like I said, you know, I think Barry got taken out uh, after getting, you know, hit in the ribs with a, with a fastball or whatnot. Um, and so, yeah, they were super competitive in that game. And they pretty much knew that was probably gonna be the only time they were going to get to play together. So they really left it all out there. So one of the one of the stories I thought was very interesting was Matt Tupman. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was funny because I had just seen I, I had just literally typed out Trey Hillman on a tweet for something earlier uh, when I was reading this chapter. And Matt Tupman, I mean, really seems to, in his mind, certainly at least, seems to kind of blame Trey Hillman for not having more of a chance in the big leagues. Right. And uh, <laughs> While that was kind of, you know, disappointing, I what I really enjoyed about the chapter the most, though, about Tupman was his teammates, because if it were not for his teammates, he might not have even gotten to play in the one game that he did. 
And I, I just that's one of the things I love about baseball is teammates sticking up for teammates and and a bunch of veterans really essentially feigning injury and really trying to get this guy in the game. And, and this. Uh, so for me, Matt Tupman was really one of the favorites. Can you tell us a little bit more about his his single game? Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, I mean, all it took was Miguel Olivo faking that he was having a heat stroke to to get him in the game in the, the Miami Heat. Um <laughs> Yeah, so he kind of had a feud with Trey Hillman, uh, the manager of the Royals at the time, not really playing him, kind of giving him, you know, half answers on, you know, what he was asking him, if he was going to get playing time, whatnot. And certainly a game in Miami kind of on a back-to-back, you know, a night, day, back-to-back seemed like a time that he would have gotten a spot start, but he didn't. So Miguel Olivo, someone he had known and and a couple other teammates that he had played with elsewhere, um, kind of internationally kind of orchestrated this whole scenario where he would get to play. And it ended up working out. Um, but I really thought the two things that stuck out to me about his story was his relationship with his dad um, in kind of his dad his being his biggest fan, going to all his games, um, and then passing away before he gets to see him uh, make it to the majors. And him kind of having this tradition where he would put a new hat of whatever level of baseball that he had gotten called up to, whether it be AA, AAA, and then eventually, of course, the major leagues. Um, and putting it on on his gravestone and, and visiting him. So I thought that was kind of the coolest part of his story. And then um, the most tragic part of his story was being from New England and, and going to Fenway Park and uh, kind of just a comical series of errors um, that led to him being witness to, to history at Fenway and not being able to be a part of it. And sitting in the wives section. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I love that his dad was a Yankees fan and he was a diehard Red Sox fan. Just, you know, rivalries can be really fun like that. And uh, it just it, it just made a bigger bond between them. It was cool. I agree. That was a fun part of the story. So we covered a a game uh, that's that you don't you have as a full chapter, but you've got some shorter stories as well. And we covered the uh, the Ty Cobb you know, being being <laughs> banned by Ban Johnson and another story of teammates kind of backing him up. And one thing interesting, uh, this show is premiering on the 19th. We're recording it now on the tw- on the 15th, though. And today is actually the anniversary of that game where Ty oh, Cobb wow. jumped into the stands uh, <laughs> and and got into a tussle with a with a, a fan that had been berating him the entire uh, game, but that led to his ban as well as um, some others, in which then the Tigers ended up fielding <laughs> the ultimate cup of coffee team, including somebody whose real name was John Coffee, right? <laughs> and uh, and also my favorite headshot on baseball card reference, Alan Travers. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this story was comical in a number of ways. And, you know, a lot of uh, the stories of the actual full profiles in the book, um, I wasn't trying to bring that much levity to the situation or anything. But with something this old and something this comical and just a weird series of events, uh, I thought that was probably the time to employ some humor because you kind of had to have it to to enjoy that story. But yeah, just having eight guys playing in their first or last major league game uh, in that game. And you got the Tigers who have a bunch of replacement players, essentially just a bunch of Philadelphia collegiate players who the Tigers owner had gone out uh, and recruited basically so that they didn't have to pay a fine for not playing the game because all of the Tigers were protesting that 
that Ty Cobb shouldn't be suspended indefinitely and all that. And so you had a bunch of random players, and they just happened to be playing against the Athletics, who had just won the World Series the year before that. Um, and Connie Mack was not too happy about the entire situation, how it played out. So he did not exactly tell his players to uh, pump the brakes or anything. So as a result, we got some pretty weird statistical anomalies, both for like individual players and for the game in general. And the, the Alan Travers is somebody that we've talked about. He ended up pitching against the A's, despite right. the fact he had never pitched before. <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of kind of that, yeah, sure, I can play first base kind of thing. He just, right. sure. And then, of course, he went on to become a Catholic priest. Yes, he did. Which his headshot, <laughs> that's the headshot of which I refer to on Baseball Reference, is my favorite. Um, but <laughs> that uh, that is one of my favorite stories in, in, that we've ever covered. So I'm, I'm glad you you fit that in there as well. <laughs> yes, Travers he uh, allowed the most most earned runs in a single start in Major League history in that game, as you might expect it to turn out. Uh, it was interesting though. Someone that I was talking to, I think in one of the Facebook groups or something, um, actually mentioned that they had him. Uh, as a professor at one of the colleges that they had. So that was crazy. Wow. Um, but, you know, there's someone still living who actually had like a connection to this guy. So that kind of blew me away. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe it. Um, we uh, Another guy that we talked about was Burt Shepard. Mm -hmm. And uh, we covered him actually just recently. We did a show on on players, uh, you know, you that made the, the big leagues despite some physical disabilities. And Burt Shepard, of course, is the uh, the guy that lost his leg in a plane crash in World War II and was a prisoner of war and then ended up with a, a prosthetic leg and uh, ended up, again, just a, a cup of coffee, an ultimate right. cup of coffee, just one, uh, one game. But um, what, was your, what was your favorite story looking back? I mean, of course, we've got the, the, the Ty Cobb <laughs> story here. But what is, uh, you know, some of these we had clearly never heard of. What, what was the favorite story that you had never heard of that you, that you really got to jump into and, and learn about? Um, I usually say for, you know, that type of thing, Sam Marcinic to me jumps out just because his story is so – uh, multi-leveled, really. You know, a lot of these guys, obviously, they all follow this similar trajectory up until their one game and then back down. But Sam really kind of flipped that script to where most of the reason that he only had one game uh, was from his own issues and kind of his substance abuse issues and, and behavioral issues. Um, and ultimately, that's what cost him uh, not pitching in more than one game for the Yankees in 2004. Uh, you know, Joe Torre had told him after he made his one major league uh, appearance that he was going to be in their plans for the rest of the season, kind of a mop-up duty guy, you know, in the ninth inning when Mariano didn't have to to expend any energy and get a save. Um, but then he gets in a boating accident, hurts his knee, and, and never comes back. But his redemption story of kind of how he took the lessons and sort of the misdeeds that he had go on during his career and was able to turn his life around and is still turning it around and still doing amazing things kind of with this baseball ministry that he now runs uh, is, is really amazing. And I thought telling his story was the most rewarding. And then hearing from him after he had read the book and said, you know, this brought out emotions I hadn't felt in a decade. And, and that made me obviously, you know, as someone documenting someone's story and as my kind of chief goal is to, to do that story justice, to have the person that it's about uh, reach out and then say that, you know, it did do it justice. Uh, that to me meant everything. And, and I think his story was the most rewarding in terms of putting it together. And I think it's one of the ones that people will get the most out of too, in terms of 
being able to connect with the ups and downs of his story. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a made for Hollywood story. A, a, a kid uh, in the minor, you know, had great success before being drafted. Uh, Mark will uh, Mark is a big Nolan Ryan fan. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Nolan Ryan essentially convinced him to not go to, to college and to sign right. with the Rangers. And he had never known anything but success, uh, found uh, some, you know, had some uh, alcohol abuse issues throughout his entire career, and then gets called up to the juggernaut Yankees and told, listen, (laughs) you're here just to essentially sit at the end of the bench and mop up games and collect rings. And then, you know, to have it happen to somebody that had had that many problems and then to have an accident on an off day. But mm-hmm. I, I'm glad like you that he, he really ended up kind of turning around and it being a, a happy ending. But that seems like a movie just waiting to be made. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's still I mean, he's still doing amazing things and kind of, you know, building upon it. So his his story is far from over as well, which is kind of cool. Something I wanted to point out um, that you touch upon on uh, Rafael Montalvo's story. Mm-hmm. It's something that, that people don't always know is how little you make in the minor leagues if you're you know your average grunt minor leaguer you right. mentioned here that Montalvo was making 18 to 20,000 a month playing in the minors and he he, he had a family he, he ended up getting a family and everything too and a lot of these guys quit baseball because they just you know a little bit longer in the minors might have helped them might have ca- uh, caused their career to go a little better but some of them in fact a lot of them call it quits strictly because of money Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's less sustainable now more than ever, you know, even, you know, comparably, it's it's pretty much the same now. Um, obviously, once you get kind of the triple A level, it gets a little bit better. Um, but yeah, his story is one, like you said, kind of highlights that because he was just such a journeyman in terms of his playing and then his coaching career too. Um, obviously became sort of something of a legend in uh, the Mexican League uh, as a pitcher. But as far as the major leagues were concerned, um, obviously, he wasn't wasn't collecting million-dollar paychecks at all. You mind if I read off his San Juan team's uh, lineup? Yes, please do. The San Juan team, and this was he had at first base Carmelo Martinez, second base Roberto Alomar, third base Carlos Cheese Baerga, shortstop was Ray Sanchez, left field was Juan Gonzalez, center field Bernie San- Bernie Williams, almost said Sanchez, <laughs> Williams, right field Ruben Sierra, catcher Carlos Delgado, DH. Edgar Martinez and on the injured squad was Ivan Rodriguez. So, I might have been able to manage that team. <laughs> yeah. I was blown away by that. <laughs> yeah, the Puerto Rican dream team necessitated, yeah. or I guess not necessitated, but made possible by uh, the player strike, of course, leading and bleeding into 1995. So uh, that, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, just that assembly of talent, one, to be from one nation and then kind of to get all those guys to commit and play. Uh, was pretty crazy, and Montalvo to be on that coaching staff is is pretty cool. Yeah, that's a crazy team. No, that I, when I read that, I just went, "Oh my lord!" <laughs> I know. Is it strange that the name that I got most excited about was Carmelo Martinez? <laughs> a little bit. I love. I've talked about him before on our show. I loved Carmelo Martinez. I don't know why, but uh, he was one of my guys. One of the things I, I really like about your book was uh, just getting to see. I like to see what guys do after their careers, and most of the time, it's usually you know guys that have had successful careers that then go on to write a book of their own, and, and so on and so forth. If you and and I think you might have answered it from the last question I ask you, but if you were able to go and be a GM on any of these teams, which of these guys that you highlighted 
would you like to give a second chance to, to have them come up and, and get more than just a single game? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't think I've been asked that yet. Um, hmm. Let's think. Ron Wright was what my gut went to initially because uh, he was like the highest prospect of anyone that I talked to. But that was before he, he suffered an injury that, you know, of course, derailed his career. But I think I would actually probably stick with Ron Wright only because um, I think he overcame that injury and he would he wasn't going to be a franchise cornerstone like uh, a couple franchises thought he was going to be before he, he suffered the injury that he did. Uh, but he is a guy that, you know, fought tooth and nail for everything that he had, and he still was generating pretty decent power in the minor league. So I would have liked to see what he would have been able to do if given, you know, a half season or a full season and see if he could have stuck. Boy, he just looking at pictures of him, he looks like a star. Like he is just got a a body that looks like he could just mash balls anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I did a uh, did a little research here and looked at players that uh, that have only had one game in the big leagues, um, you know, other than players that you included in your book. And uh, there are some guys that had some very successful games, single game. (laughs) Uh, Ray Jensen from uh, the from 1910, quite quite a ways back, but he, <laughs> um, he ended up going uh, what four for five in a game, and never saw the light of day uh, right. after that. Um, the the name that really stuck out to me was John Pachorek, though. Yep, yeah, he's the big one. He's he's kind of the grand example of about the most perfect one game you can have. Yeah. Uh, and the, the name stuck out to me, first of all, because Tom Pachorek is, is his brother as Jim Pachorek, another former major leaguer, but uh, a, a three for uh, a three for three day, a perfect one. I mean, how often can you say, you know, you retire from baseball and you, you batted a thousand with more than one at bat in the big leagues. Right. And he walked twice. So he reached base all five yeah. times. He <laughs> came up to bat. His OPS is a perfect tooth that well no i guess it's not a perfect but it is 2000 um, right which is is not bad uh there's <laughs> I'll take it. uh yeah I, I was frankly i was shocked at the number of guys that just played in one game right yeah it was a lot more prevalent back in the day the the general rule of thumb uh just approximation is there's been about like 150 over the last 50 years or so um and there's about a thousand overall um, so it's obviously very weighted toward the uh, early days of baseball, but we've got about like an average of three players or so uh, per year the last half century. Yeah, I'm just looking at this. Some of the the latest ones. The last one is Justin Williams in 2018. Uh, I don't. These names don't. I don't. I don't see any. I, Matt Topman <laughs> is there from 2008, right. but yeah, yeah there's uh, there's definitely some new names there, as well as Jeff Bannister, who went on to obviously become the manager of the Texas Rangers. I I think he was the, the manager of the year his first year. If I'm yeah, not correct. yeah, he had a great he had a great uh, first couple of years with them, and then obviously the wheels sort of fell off there um, for various reasons. Uh, but he was one of my favorite stories too, not only because uh, you know when I was putting together the book, he was the active manager for the Rangers. Um, Might have helped me if he could have uh, <laughs> held on to that job uh, for the book to come out, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But his story is really inspiring too, in terms of what he went through when he was younger, um, and to even get one game in the big leagues. It was one of those cases where. He definitely felt more sweet than bitter just because of all the obstacles that were put in his way and that he overcame to even get one game. It it felt like the one game was really a triumph rather than than a tragedy. 
So in the introduction to your book, you you have a, a question that you that you pose. What would you give to play one game in the major in the majors? Uh, I that that made me think, and I was I, I I honestly I didn't have to think that long. Um, but my question to you is what, what would you give? What, what, what would you give to be able to put on a uniform and take the mound or dig into the box just, just for one game in the majors? Man, I don't know. And I asked Chase Lambin that question, who is a player who never made it to the majors and played, you know, a dozen seasons or so in, in the minor leagues. I kind of asked him that question just as a comparison. And he was saying, you know, at the time, maybe I would have given like a finger or something, but then he wore the kind of career minor leaguer as a badge of honor. But for me, someone who kind of grew up playing, you know, little league travel ball and all that sort of stuff, um, I think I would be in sort of the same camp as him, either, you know, like a, a large sum of money or like a relatively inconsequential body part, like maybe a pinky or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how, how far it would a go. A spleen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, an organ that I don't need. Yeah. So my last question is is, is really about these guys in general that, that you spoke to. You know, to, to make the major leagues, to play in the minor leagues at, at all, your entire life basically is a young man at this point uh, – is is baseball is playing this game with the ultimate goal of making the major leagues and and hopefully becoming you know successful where you stay there and and have a, a a good career in the major leagues. Do you think do you think any of these guys consider themselves as failures for not playing more than one game in the majors? Hmm. I don't think they would consider themselves failures. Um, most of these guys, I would say, were closer to kind of this sweet side of this bittersweet spectrum that I went in kind of wanting to see where these guys were falling. And I really thought more than not would be closer to the bitter side. But more than not, I think I found, um, at least in the guys that I talked to, were closer to the sweet side. And even the guys, you know, like Larry Yount, who were a little closer to the bitter side, I don't think that he was bitter about, you know, what he would consider a failure. I think it was just kind of that regret of almost a series of mistakes that you couldn't at the time have foreseen being mistakes. And so I think that a lot of these guys maybe have some nagging regret, but I don't know that any of them uh, would maybe consider their careers a failure um, just because they got the one game. And I think a lot of that too, even if deep down they did feel like that, I think a lot of it's also a defense mechanism. You know, you, you spend your whole life chasing this one goal and you want to, of course, tell yourself that it was worth it. And in my eyes, it, it is worth it if you get one game in the major leagues, but someone hyper competitive and competitive enough to be a professional athlete, maybe that isn't enough. But as a defense mechanism, perhaps they, you know, over the years convinced themselves that that it was. Yeah. And as soon as I asked that question, I realized I phrased it wrong because clearly just being a professional baseball player on any level is a success, especially for, you know, I think I could probably say for all three of us here being huge baseball fans, we would love that. I guess. Yeah, I I think you put it. You put it great there. I wanted to know more about their do they consider their baseball career a success? Because obviously they are a success. and, And I I, I kick myself as soon as I said it oh, <laughs> that way. No, I, totally, I totally got what you were saying. Yeah, I think uh, kind of that same thing applies of just, um, you know, their careers. They, they look back with some regret, um, most if not all of them. 
but I don't know that any of them explicitly would say that that they consider it a failure. We brought up uh, John Pachorik and his great one game. So he ended right. up his career with a 0.02 war from a single game. Oh. He had a positive yeah. war. So I went ahead and I looked up other players that had at least a 0. 0.02 war. And, hmm. you know, some of these guys uh, played for a good bit of time. And and these are just, I looked for exactly 0. 0.02. Obviously, there's guys right. that played in the big leagues for several years that have negative numbers. But yeah, I'm... Cedeno that I mentioned uh, in the opening chapter. He had negative <laughs> and he played like a decade in, in the yeah. majors. So. Yeah, I, I, I mean, some of these names. So I see Jeff Mathis here. He was a catcher for wow. 14 yeah. years. Um, Shelby Miller, who had kind of burned bright for the Cardinals, uh, you know, for a couple of years. Um, I, I see Sheldon Noisy here, who is a rookie for the A's. I know that because I'm an A's fan. But I <laughs> I, I mean, he, I, I see that. Um, some other names here. I'm just looking for some, you know, Jason Pridey. Uh, just names here that I think might be familiar, you know, more recent. Oscar Robles. Uh, okay. Tim, uh, believe it or not, Tim Raines Jr., <laughs> uh, he ended up with a .02. I mean, he only played for a couple of seasons. Uh, Chuck McElroy, there's a Cubs uh, name for you. <laughs> he pitched for 13 years and only ended up with a .02 ERA, or ERA uh, war. That's crazy compared to one game. Compared to one single game. <laughs> uh, I also went ahead and just combined everybody that you covered in this book in your, in your 12 or in your 11 chapters, I combined their stats and these hitting numbers are, (laughs) are frankly, I, anybody would take these seven days a you know, seven days a week, twice on Sunday, six for 12 with an RBI, a triple one walk and two strikeouts. Uh, that'll do. Yeah. That'll, that'll work. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. And then pitching wise, only three and a third innings, three hits, only one earned run given up though. So that's an ERA of just under three since it's three and a third innings and two walks. So it's it's crazy how, every, well, not everybody, but how many guys <laughs> that just have one game, especially batters, tend to get a hit in those games. Yeah, totally feeds into the what if. Because, you know, you've got that small sample size and you think you can stretch it across and, and be in a competitor uh, until it's proven that you can't do it. Uh, you're going to think that you can. And so that small sample size just, I think, feeds into that what if narrative of these guys and, and thinking that, you know, I get three, four, five, six, seven at bats. Uh, you can build on them. And I think that's part of the charm, uh, I guess, of, of these guys as a whole. But but also, of course, part of the tragedy of, of their careers that they didn't get more than the chance that they did. Yeah, we'll never know. But uh, great book. We really enjoyed reading it. And uh, speaking of uh, of numbers, as we were just doing there, uh, I brought it up to you earlier. We like to open a pack of baseball cards with our guests here. And uh, it is a segment that we like to call Wax Packs Heroes. Now I have got a pack here. Uh, I'm excited to open this because looking through uh, looking through the Beckett here, this pack of 1988 Fleer has some uh, has some big names in it. 
a lot of okay. a lot of cards here that uh, are worth some some money. Now, the only reason they're worth that money is because to score this, uh, we are using a May 1992 Beckett baseball card. <laughs> uh, we started using a current one, and we ended up with scores of one or two cents every time. So oh, no. we've uh, we've gone back, and uh, we're going to use uh, an older Beckett. We also have a couple of other rules. Uh, one rule is if the player is wearing real stirrups you get an extra cent. <laughs> uh, if you're wearing the two-in-one stirrups, though, you get a minus one cent because nobody likes that's those. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, if they are sporting a mustache, you get an extra cent. Uh, that <laughs> happens a lot uh, around this era. And then our final rule is if you are a Hall of Famer, you get an extra five cents. So All right. there are some, I'm looking at the, the Beckett's here. There are some several cards worth over a dollar. There's a Ron Gant rookie card for $4. Uh, a Tom Glavin is only $2. So Ron Gant <laughs> doubling wow. up the Hall of Famer <laughs> there. Um, uh, there's a Matt Williams rookie card. A, okay. There's always a Greg Jeffries rookie card that's worth money. And uh, there's just a, a regular Bo Jackson that's worth $1.25. So if you are ready... Let's go ahead and open these and uh, see what we come up with. Ladies and gentlemen, please be advised Wax Packs Heroes is only for fun. Please, no wagering. Well, I, you can go ahead and wager. Just give me a cut of it if you win anything. <laughs> uh, so these uh, these flares come with some great stickers. Uh, you've got uh, Chicago White Sox and the Minnesota Twins stickers here. The White Sox is the, the cool, like, batter uh, silhouette guy. So, Oh, right. You start off good there. Uh, all right, your first uh, first guy here. Uh, this is a catcher for the Cleveland Indians. I vaguely remember him, Brian Dorsett. Hmm. You hit Brian Dorsett first card. <laughs> yeah, he's a dear, he's a really good friend of mine. That's hilarious. Is he really? Uh, so, that's his. Yes, that's his only card. Really. Well, yeah, here it is. He played in Tacoma for several years prior to yep. this card, which yep. would have been right where wow. you would have known him. Yeah, he's a great guy. Well, I hate to inform him, but uh, he is not worth anything, and he's—I can't see his stirrups, and he's got no mustache. Uh, next, we've got a guy uh, definitely wearing real stirrups. I like this guy. Remember, he, he was on the A's in the late, uh, or the—I'm sorry, the early '90s. Scott Sanderson here with the Cubs. Oh. Nice. You got him, got him on the Cubs, got him on the right team. Yep. Uh, I, I see. So you're going to get, you're just going to get one cent for that. Cause he's got the real stirrups, not a, <laughs> not a big money maker, but, um, I remember he was just reliable. He was an innings eater and, uh, typically a three or four guy, but he was a good, good guy to have on your staff. Uh, now we'll go to the other side of Chicago, Dave LaPointe pitcher for the Chicago White Sox. I remember him. Yeah, I remember the name. I don't remember too hmm. much about him. He pitched for the White Sox and the Cardinals, so a double whammy. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, he kind of made his way around, but he's a lefty. Yeah. And as we all know, in the 80s and 90s, if you're a left-handed oh, yeah. pitcher. But look at that. I don't know if, you, if you're looking up these cards, but that grip, he's throwing a palm ball. Ooh, nice. that's, a, that's a lost art. Yeah, so Definitely. we uh, we also post these on our YouTube channel. If uh, if you're listening to this and want to see, that is a straight up palm ball. I'm not sure I've ever seen that in a, <laughs> in a card, um, but unfortunately, that is not worth anything. Uh, 
Next, we've talked about this guy, good and bad. Here he is with the Dodgers, second baseman, Steve Sachs. Okay, Steve that's a good Alto one. Sachs. The, you, yeah. got the, you got the right Sachs, though, because the other Sachs yeah. is never, Dave Sachs is never worth anything. <laughs> um, and uh, here, so Steve Sachs worth four cents at this time. Plus, he's got real stirrups on, so that's a five cent card. I'll bring you up to okay. six cents. Now, We're Steve, in business. Steve Sachs didn't, did he suffer from the Chuck Knobloch not being able to throw at some point? Yeah, it sounds familiar, familiar. but I'm not sure. Yeah, I want to say he did later in his career, but it was at the point where I think he might have just retired uh, because of it. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, it looks like he's listed on one of the five worst cases of the yips in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep. Oh, strike again. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so now we've got a guy that's thrown a no-hitter for the Seattle Mariners. Here he is for the Milwaukee Brewers, Chris Basio. Oh, former uh, Cubs pitching coach. Oh, was he? Yeah. Up until recently, yeah. Underrated pitcher. He would give you 200 innings a year and pitch really well. I mean, he was a solid pitcher. So his card is unfortunately not worth anything, but he's got a mustache <laughs> and he's got real stirrups. So you do nice. get two cents out of that. Uh, next, this is, we've pulled this guy before, and I do not remember this guy, and I do not know how to say his last name. He's a pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, Charlie Puleo. P-U-L-E-O. Hmm. Yeah, it looks Vegas like he only familiar. played in the 80s. I hope he has a mustache in... Uh, he does. Yeah, he's got a... Card. <laughs> <laughs> looks like his baseball uh, reference page definitely has a, a nice mustache on it. Yep, he's got a mustache, and it looks like this was definitely taken in Wrigley Field because I see oh, Ivy nice. in the background. There but, you go. Uh, so you do get one cent on that one for uh, a mustache. <laughs> well, now, I don't have cards worth anything, but I've got a good mustache and stirrup team. <laughs> yes. Now, if this were a different set, this would be very exciting. It is Billy Ripken uh, holding a bat, posing for the camera. But this is not the uh, the infamous Billy Ripken card. Uh, this one has just got his number on the knob of the bat. Uh, unfortunate. Yeah. And I'm going to get. <laughs> oh, but this is his rookie card. Okay. Wow. So, uh, that is a five cent card right there. There you go. That's a, a nickel all day long. So <laughs> he, just, he hadn't earned the nickname yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next, uh, this guy we've talked about before. I mean, we've pulled all these guys before. We've opened enough packs, but second baseman for the Houston Astros, Bill Doran. Oh, my hero. That's a solid one. Yeah. Sw uh, switch hitter, right? Uh, let's see. Yep. Switch hitter. Played great defense. Kept his mouth shut. Hit the ball quick. I love that guy. <laughs> Not to be confused with Roger Doran from uh, no, Major, Major no, League. Very different. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> One is Corbin Burnson and the other is not. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, that card is not worth anything. Ah. Uh, now, here's a Seattle Mariner pitcher that I am not familiar with. Mark, we will have to defer to you here, hopefully. Uh, Bill Wilkinson. Ooh, wow. Um, I'm drawing a blank on that one. Looks like he only pitched a few years. Yeah, this card, uh, not his rookie card. He came up he came up for, well, he came up for a cup of coffee, but he'd already been up yep. <laughs> um, at this time. Yeah, not uh, not much, but he's a lefty, so 
<laughs> he probably stuck around longer <laughs> than he should have, but no mustache. This is just Flair must have told these guys to shave. Yeah. Because- <laughs> Following the Yankee directive. Yeah, something's wrong here. Uh, This guy is, uh, I remember him being around when I first started kind of getting into baseball. He seemed like he'd been around forever. Pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, John Tudor. John Tudor pitched uh, a while. He's a lefty, that's why. But uh, (laughs) uh, let's see, Mr. Tudor is uh, unfortunately not worth anything, and he is not sporting. They also not a lot of pictures of anybody's stirrups here. These are all posed, waist-up pictures. <laughs> uh, this guy has got a definite mustache. It's not a good-looking mustache, but it's a mustache nonetheless. <laughs> it is infielder for the Detroit Tigers, Dave Bergman. Bergman. Okay, yeah, he played a while. Been a real long time. Yeah, I remember. He was kind of that. I think he was more of a utility guy. I don't think he was so much of a starter. Um, yeah, I think he just played all over the place. Yeah. It and, lasted a long time. Yeah, I mean, at this point, he looks like he broke in with the Yankees and actually in 75. He had, he had his cup of coffee in 75, but then came back. But that is, it's at least worth one cent for that, that uh, salt and pepper mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this guy, I remember this name, but this is not what I remember him looking like. Daryl Miller, the Los, or California Angels, and he's listed as a catcher outfielder. That is a, I don't remember a Daryl Miller. A large catcher. That is not a combination you, you no. see very often. <laughs> Kyle Schwarber, maybe, but he'll uh, he'll be DHing now, now that uh, the NL might, might be having the DH. Because uh, yeah. Schwarber came up as a catcher, which is kind of weird uh, looking back on it. It's always weird when you see guys, you know, BJ Surhoff came up as a catcher. Uh, wow. Obviously, Craig Biggio came up as a yep. catcher. Josh Donaldson came up as a catcher in mm-hmm. the Cubs organization. Oh, oh, don't I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's always strange when you see those guys that at some yeah. point hot. Uh, so you do get one cent for that, at least. Perfect. Uh, now, I hate to tell you this, but you've got three cards left and you're halfway to our oh, no. to the bottom of the top ten. So. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so this guy we just talked about in uh, in a series we're just doing on YouTube uh, because we do get a, a extra scent if you've got a mustache. Uh, this guy we were trying to determine if he had a mustache and ultimately determined he did not. This is Bob Brower for the Texas Rangers. The controversial Bob Brower. Clearly, in this picture, is a baby face where I'm not even sure if he'd ever <laughs> shaved at all. Uh, just completely clean shaven. He does have real stirrups on, though. Uh, so you'll get a, at least one cent. I am going to guess that Mr. <laughs> Brower is probably not worth anything. He is not. Interestingly enough, it looks like uh, he was represented by Scott Boris. <laughs> well, then hopefully he's set for life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next, uh, we've talked about this guy. Uh, made one of the greatest barehanded catches in outfield history after he blatantly misplayed a ball (laughs) (laughs) in Riverfront Stadium. Mr. Kevin Mitchell here with the uh, San Francisco Giants. Okay. Well, that's a little more name recognition than we've gotten on some of these at least. 
Definitely. Let's see. This was kind of at the height. MVP. Wow. His name. You're gonna you're gonna like Kevin Mitchell. Um, as long as you don't like look into what he does off the field. Or get <laughs> off the field. Uh, so he's got a mustache, but you have to remember that this is right kind of during the height of the Pacific Sock Exchange with he and Will Clark and Jack Clark. Right. This card is listed for thirty five cents. Wow, there we go. Plus the the penny for the mustache. So <laughs> that is a that brings your total up to fifty three cents. Wow, very respectable game changer. Yeah, that is that's what we found recently. You kind of get like one card, and it, it makes your score legitimate. <laughs> Wait, who was the card? Uh, Kevin Mitchell. Mm. Wow. Okay. So your your final card here is somebody uh, I I've loved for a long time, former A's pitcher, former A's pitching coach, Mr. Kurt Young. Oh, uh-huh. I have a Kurt Young story. Well, here's this is the place to go. <laughs> Assuming you can, <laughs> I had to pick him up from the airport once, and this is pre you know GPS, and I completely got lost. And I'm driving around the airport and he finally just looks at me and goes, Mark, just admit you're lost, pull off and ask someone for directions. So I did. <laughs> well, that, uh, so that will bring your total to 50, uh, what did I say? 53 cents, which is, uh, I'm, I'm updating our leaderboard here. Uh, that will put you actually in fifth place. You're actually tied for fifth place with uh, Jesse, Stra- or Jesse Goldberg Strassler, the play-by-play announcer for the Lansing Lugnuts. Nice. In rarefied air there in the top five. But you are in there. Uh, you're in there in the top uh, the top five. So congratulations. Very nice. Thank you. Uh, so before we let you go, Jacob, uh, first first off, thanks again for joining us. Um, can you want to tell everybody where they can get the uh, get your book, where they can uh, maybe find you on social media, or where they yeah. can essentially get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been kind of pointing people more towards IndieBound now, if you can. Um, just you know, obviously during the pandemic, to try to kind of help out. Um, those independent bookstores. So I think IndieBound, uh, if it's convenient for you, uh, is a good option. But then, of course, Amazon and and all the other the big kind of you know Barnes and Noble stuff like that. Um, if you just Google the Cup of Coffee Club, uh, you should be able to find something. But again, IndieBound would be my preferred choice for you to do it um, if if you have the option. Um, and then on Twitter, that's kind of where I do most of my baseball ramblings. Um, I'm at Corn Sports, and it's with a K, so K-O-R-N uh, Sports. And I might have a weird baseball nugget or two for you and uh, hopefully get through the rest of this uh, quarantine before baseball starts uh, with at least some baseball content to speak of. <laughs> yes, we're all holding our breath, waiting for it to come back. Hopefully, you know, at the right time. And so yes. we can get everybody out there safe and, and get through an entire whatever the season might be. But uh, Jacob, thank you again very much for joining us. We really enjoyed your book. The book, once again, is The Cup of Coffee Club, 11 Players and Their Brush with Baseball History. Thank you very much, Jacob. Thanks awesome. for coming thanks, on guys. Show, Yeah, thanks for having me. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed speaking to Jacob. That he had uh, for he's a lot younger than us, Mark. Yes, but he, he has a lot of knowledge, a lot of baseball and, uh, knowledge. Uh, it's a really good book too. Yeah, no, I I think we both really enjoyed it. We knew we were going to. I mean, that kind of kind of yeah. ticks off a lot of boxes of what we do here on this show. Exactly. So. 
Just a reminder that you can see Jacob's uh, Wax Packs Hero segment. We post that every Thursday after this show drops on a Tuesday. So you'll be able to see those cards that we just uh, opened with Jacob, including the Incredible Palm Ball, which I thought was pretty cool. I've never seen that before in a baseball card. But uh, make sure to jump over to our YouTube channel. Also on our YouTube channel, this week we have got the finals of the first annual Bump Bailey Wax Packs Hero Tournament of Awesome, which has been a lot of fun. We've had a lot of our friends on the internet, some who have been on the show, some that will hopefully be on the show in the future, all joined us and we just ripped through a whole bunch of baseball cards and Mark, we we said a lot of names we hadn't said in a long time, had a lot of close matches and a lot of fun just talking about some some older baseball players with a lot of our friends. Yeah, uh, it was it was kind of a gathering of bloggers, baseball knowledgeable people. So we were all kind of on the same level when we discussed uh, what we like to discuss. Uh, it didn't sound as geeky as it does when you're talking with, you know, those normal people. When you just stop somebody uh, in the it will you stop somebody six feet away from you in the supermarket and say, hey, that's uh, right. You want to open up a pack of wax, <laughs> junk wax baseball cards? That's right. It doesn't go over well. I'm just going to tell you. Okay. I won't try it. Uh, just a reminder, though, if you do want to get in touch with us, as many of you have been doing whenever we say anything wrong, which that's perfectly fine, please call us out on anything that we don't get right. We enjoy it. Uh, we enjoy talking to anybody about baseball. You can find us on all the social media platforms. As I said, just uh, search for Two Strike Noise. That is TWO Strike Noise on YouTube. On Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at Two Strike Noise. Mark, they can send us emails as well. Absolutely. It's Two Strike Noise. Spell it out. T-W-O, Strike Noise at gmail.com. And uh, just again, as we always do, and thank all of our listeners. We really do appreciate it. And if you want to rate or review us, that's great. If not, we understand. Maybe tell a friend that Big likes up. baseball. That's that's always a helpful way to, to have somebody find us and we really do appreciate all of that from from everybody so thank you very much mark this was a lot of fun i say we do it at least one more time again next week you in yeah i already have some ideas for next week so yeah all right let's do it we'll see you next week on another edition of two strike noise thank you god bless you have a great day mm-hmm.